We are in our eighth week. Can you believe that? Eight weeks of Rooted. This has been a tremendous experience. This 10-week experience that we've committed to, it seems like forever ago, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's been eight weeks where we've been diving into various aspects of what it means to, to not only connect with, with uh, God's purpose for our lives, but also with God himself and the church and today we're going to be furthering our discussion as we are venturing into this, uh, this conversation. So one of the things, just to highlight and note for those of you who are unfamiliar with what Rooted has been and what it is, uh, it's, this, it's this experience that includes not only what we're doing here this morning on Sunday morning, where we talk about that week's given subject, but then small groups get together. Some are going to be meeting tonight and then at different other times during the week, and uh, they're going to further these conversations with one another. And then also uh, there is that daily reading opportunity, that devotional, that connection with God's Word and some thoughts and reflections, and all that coming together in providing uh, what is just a, a fantastic experience. And by the way, we are on November 15th. That's a Sunday night at 6 p.m. We're going to have a celebration. So for those of you who have been involved in that rooted process, uh, we want everybody to be here and to celebrate together what God has done through this journey. And we're also going to, and this is for anybody, you do not have to have been a part of Rooted for this part to apply to you. We're going to have baptism that night at 6 p.m. And we want to see people get baptized. That outward expression, that outward symbol of what God has done inwardly because of Jesus Christ. And so I just, I can't wait for people to make that proclamation and for us to be able to celebrate that. Uh, so if you're interested in being baptized, please, please talk to me. You can talk to Pastor Don, um, and uh, we want to get you connected and make that a reality. All right, so uh, pirates. When we think about pirates, we have different images that come to our brains, and, and uh, you, you might think of uh, some fictionalized pirates that we've seen in movies. But one question I want to ask here this morning as, as, we, as we talk about uh, the relationship between money and the church, I want to ask this question, are we pirating our church? Are we pirating our church? There are some questions that come up whenever you mention money in the church. And I, I thought as I was preparing this, because I know, I know, I grew up in the church and this happened to me, it happened to a lot of other people. When you hear money, you start clenching up a little bit, or maybe your eyes roll back a little bit. I thought well, maybe if I threw some explosions on the screen, or if I came up with a puppy, maybe I'd be able to keep your attention right off the bat. But don't be afraid. This is, this is a topic that is necessary, not only necessary to the Christian life, but it's necessary to the health and growth of our church. And God can do tremendous things. And let me tell you this, and I, I said this at the end of the service, last service, but I think it's best to say it now. But I'm not going to ever shy away from talking about this subject. Now, if you've been a part of this church for as long as I've been here, you know that I don't talk about this every week. But we do talk about it every now and then because the Bible talks about it a lot. Because money has a direct relation to how it is that we interact with one another and how it is that we interact with our community and with God. And, and because it's such an important issue, the Bible addresses it and we have to address it too. 
So we go, we go forward with courage and just a recognition that this is an important issue. But there are some familiar questions that come to your mind probably when you think about the relationship between money and the church. You know, questions like, what does giving to the church have to do with other people's lives? Or how in the world will my money be used at the church? Uh, or can I really trust the leaders? Fair question. What if I don't have enough of what I need after I give? It's a good question too. What if something happens? Uh, what if something happens tomorrow or a week or a month from now? Or how will this affect my family? How will giving affect my family and then my current way of living? These are questions that all of us ask either verbally or non-verbally and wrestle with and it's completely legit. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look beyond ourselves and we're going to instead focus on the ministry that God has entrusted to us here at North Haven. And my hope is that we can either begin for the first time or that we can be encouraged to do this, that we can see two things. One is that giving money to the church is God's mandate for his people. That doing so is actually an act of obedience because God commands us to do this. And that giving to the money to the church is also a vital component towards lives being changed. That there's a direct result and, and correlation between resources coming into the church to be used for the sake of people being saved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, Paul says, he says, being a cheerful giver is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. There is that relationship again. It comes up time and time again that those, that greatest commandment, love God and love others, love God and love others. And so giving of our resources and our monies is actually, a, it's a combination. It is a duality of those two things, loving God and loving others. So back to those popular ideas of pirates. When we ask that question, are we pirating the church? When we think of pirates, we think of pirates like Long John Silver from Treasure Island, right? Who's read Treasure Island? Any Treasure Island readers? I've not read that yet. I've seen the movie. Captain Jack Sparrow, Pirates of the Caribbean. By the way, is it Caribbean or is it Caribbean? Someone help me with that. It's both. That doesn't help. All right, Captain Hook, the villain in the Peter Pan story, right? What are some similar characteristics that we think of when we think of pirates? We think of greed. We think of selfishness, right? Thinking of, uh, of, of themselves way above others. And we also think of deceit. Those are characteristics that we consider. Now, we're not, we're not pirates, and I wouldn't associate those characteristics with any of you, but as a church, it's important that we understand or really ask the question, are we pirating the church? But, but what I, what I kind of want to do is I want to go on a bit of a treasure hunt here. And, and, and to go on a treasure hunt, we're not looking for coins. We're not looking for gold. Rather, that treasure hunt is seeking and searching for what it means to be a healthy church. A healthy church. 
You see, we too, as the church, North Haven Church, we have the tendency to follow in the footsteps of these, of these pirates. And instead of focusing on that healthy church, being the church that Paul lays out in 2 Corinthians here, we are too often prone to focusing on ourselves. So today we're going to go on that treasure hunt. We're going to seek after God's perspective that he calls each and every single one of us to as individuals, but then as a collective, as a church. And in doing so, we're going to follow this treasure map. Now, with any good treasure map, one of, one of my uh, guilty pleasure movies is National Treasure. Right? But that treasure map, every treasure map needs the X, right? X marks the spot. So the spot and the spot asks the question, where are we going? What is this healthy church that Paul uh, describes here in 2 Corinthians? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3-5, through 5, you see it on the screen here. It says this, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So what do we see here? What are some of the, the depictions and descriptions of what a healthy church is? What is this spot? Where is this destination for us? They gave as much as they could and beyond without prompting. That would suggest this natural, instinctual desire to give. They also saw the experience of giving as a privilege and not an obligation, not as a chore, but rather as this divine privilege given to each of us. And they gave themselves first to God and then to others without hesitation. So three things, three things. They weren't prompted they did not see it as an obligation, and they did not hesitate. They were not prompted. It was a natural and instinctual act. They did not see it as an obligation, but rather a privilege, and there was no hesitation. That is the spot. That is what it is that we are seeking for. That's the X marks the spot. Healthy church, a church that is not... Prompt, being prompted to give, but it's just, it's a natural, instinctual outflow of who we are. It's part of who we are. We don't see it as obligation, but rather we see it as this divine, wonderful privilege, and we don't hesitate. When I was, uh, when I was working at a church um, uh, a while back, a number of years ago, I was in the office one day, and uh, this person came into the church who was in need of help, which is, which is common. It happens, it happens quite a bit, which is, which is great because we want to be able to provide that help. But this person was traveling cross-country. They were going from the East Coast to the West Coast, um, and they didn't have hardly any funds. And uh, they, as they were traveling, they were trying to find help along the way. The car that this person had was, was in rough shape, and the battery itself was in really rough shape, and they pulled into the parking lot, and as they did, the battery just died, and then it was, it was just gone. So they came in, and they had a really basic 
request. It wasn't anything profound. They just said, hey, can, can I get help? Can I either get some financial assistance to get a new battery, or can you help me get a new battery? And, and I, I just, without hesitation, I said, you can have mine. So we went out to my car. I opened up the hood of my car and took out my battery, put it in his car, and, and he was on his way. And I stood there. And, you know, this isn't a pat on the back because I was a complete idiot. Because I'm standing there, and I'm watching this person drive with a smile on my face, and I'm thinking, wait a second. <laughs> I don't have a battery for my car. So I had to figure that out. So that, that's not to say that, that I did anything special. If anything, it was just be smarter than me. But do it without hesitation. Always be prepared to give and to act for God's purpose. So the spot, obviously, is a vital component to the treasure map, but also the compass that asks the question, how do we get there? What direction do we go? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge... In complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul here is he's laying down basically a foundation. Before we address this grace of giving, let's, let's first look at these other three components that are necessary to the Christian life in order for giving then to really be realized. So how do we get to that healthy place as a church? We need to excel in knowledge. We need to understand, what does the Word of God say? What does God's Word say about what it is that, how it is that we should view this relationship between money and the church? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says that we are not to put our hope in wealth. We are not to put our hope in wealth. Now, I'm not going to get into, you know, the... the uh, the constructs of things like retirement and social, social security and, and all those things because there's a big difference between being a good steward with your resources and putting your hope in those resources. There's a big difference, and I hope that we can understand that. So in 1 Timothy, Paul is saying that we are not to put our hope in our wealth. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, it also says that we are to honor God with our giving, that the very act of giving, giving of ourselves, our time, our energy, and also our resources is the very act of honoring God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, that we are to give in the form of, the, of a tithe. That's 10%. 10% of all that we have should go first to God. Who here has taken Financial Peace University? I know there's some other things like that. It's a great, great resource. I know that, that in years past, you've done it here at North Haven. I've taught Financial Peace University, and that was the very first thing that my wife and I did. Even before we got married, we went through the journey of doing that together. And we established right off the bat that every time, every single time, the first thing that we do is we set aside that tithe. The very first thing, that 10%. Because if you don't do that first, when will you do it? Never. So he set aside that first. 
that 10%. And then you give that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. You give that tithe to the church. Now, there's two variations of the church. When we say the church, capital C church, we're, we, we are considering uh, the full body of Christ. So all those brothers and sisters in Christ who are saved throughout the world, that's the capital C church. But I'm talking about the local church. The local church, so this is a local church. The local church is the mechanism in which God is revealed to a world that so desperately needs him. It is God's mechanism and instrument to not only meet the needs of others, but then to do what Paul says in Philippians 2, to hold out the word of truth as we shine like stars in the universe. Paul also says that we not only get there by excelling in our knowledge and understanding of what God's word says about this relationship between money and the church, but we also get there by excelling in our speech. And what does that mean? Well, our speech is the outflow of what? Our hearts. So if you want to know where your heart is, just listen to what you're saying. Because it is an indication, it is the litmus test, it is the strip that you put in the pool to find out what the condition of your water is. Your speech is the outflow of what is inside your heart. And so we need to excel in our speech in that our speech should be saturated with these truths. In Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 through 12, we should be saying and verbalizing, communicating, encouraging each, each other and others that everything belongs to God. It's not ours. It is His. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, we should be communicating and verbalizing that we are to share all good things with God. That everything not only comes from him, but we are to give those things back to him. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 12, our speech should be saturated with thankfulness to God. I want to encourage you to do something. I'm going to deviate here for a second, but this is an exercise that I've done a number of times, and it is challenging, but yet extremely rewarding. If you were to take Seven days, just seven days, and this would be a great month to do this, uh, given that Thanksgiving is, is coming. But it takes seven days where you write down every day, you write 20 things that you're thankful for. That first day is going to be super easy. It's not going to be a problem at all. But here's the catch. You cannot repeat anything. So day two, three, four, five, six, and seven, you've got to come up with another 20 things that you have not written in any of the previous days. And it is challenging because it forces us to do something that we often don't do, and that is live a life of thanks. And it's amazing when you force yourself to think that way, what it is that you end up thanking God for, what you, you end up seeing that maybe you didn't before. You end up thanking God for things that you never thought that you would be thanking him for. So we, we, accept, we, we get there by excelling in our knowledge. We get there by excelling in our speech. But we also get there by excelling in our faith. And how is faith displayed in this relationship between giving and the church and God? Well, Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, 33 
Faith is displayed by giving God first in our lives. We need to seek first who? God. And then all these things will be added onto you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6, faith is displayed that by understanding that what we sow is what we reap. Now, this isn't the prosperity gospel. What I'm saying, though, is that there is a direct correlation between the extent of our giving and then the, the blessing that we receive in that we see God work in tremendous ways with what we faithfully give to him and to others. And faith is also displayed by understanding that we have brought nothing in. When you were born, did anything come with you other than all that goo and that little present that you left in your first diaper that your parents were disgusted by? Nothing. Nothing. And when we leave, we bring nothing with us. We bring nothing out and we brought nothing in. So with any good treasure map, we got to consider the spot. Where are we going? we got to consider the, uh, the compass. How do we get there? But also the obstacles. There are obstacles along the way. And these are, these are legitimate obstacles because they legitimately get in our way. And there are three generalized obstacles that we face when we consider this, this relationship between giving of our resources and the church. The first is this, it's the fear of the unknown, the fear of the unknown. And that could be characterized by the statement, if I give, there won't be enough. And this is typically, this is made up generally of of two types of people. The first are those who legitimately have little, and they barely have enough to get by. And so the thought of adding this into the mix is overwhelming and inconceivable. And to that, I would say that, that just as when I started drinking coffee, it was disgusting. But what happens when you drink coffee and you drink coffee and you drink coffee, you drink it one day and you're like, well, I really like this. You begin this gradual process. It's 1%, then it's 2 and then it's 4 and then it's 6 and then it's 8 And before you know it, you're giving 10% and maybe even more. And you look back and you're wondering, how in the world? Wow, God is faithful. But there's another group of people that fit into the sphere of the unknown, this if I give, there won't be enough. And those are ones who have plenty, but they are unwilling to let go of what they have. And there's a challenge embedded into that right there. Another obstacle that we face in this this pursuit is fear of the present. And that can be characterized by the phrase, I'll give when dot, dot, dot. We could fill that in with whatever we want. I'll give when I get that raise. Or I'll, I'll give when I get older. Or I'll give when I finish that addition to the house or I buy that car. And with this fear, this fear of the present, our giving becomes random and it's completely tied to our circumstances. Because our giving that is predicated on what our circumstances have dictated or allowed. But our circumstances ebb and flow and so our giving becomes that as well. 
And my response to this is that if God and his promises don't change, if God and his promises are always faithful, if they're always true, if they don't change based on our circumstances, then why would we? Another obstacle, the third obstacle is fear of discomfort. And that can be characterized by the phrase, but what about all my stuff? And some of us have become all too comfortable with our lifestyles and we cannot assume that our things, whatever they are, whatever we've determined that our things are, we cannot assume that they are our right. They are a privilege. So the spot is an integral part of knowing where we're going and then the compass How do we get there? And then understanding those obstacles that are along the way. But what about the treasure? What about the treasure itself? And that asks the question, what's the end result? Well, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need... You will abound in every good work. In a different passage, it talks about how, how God takes care of a blade of grass. And I did a message on that. I don't know if you remember. And I showed a, um, uh, oh my goodness, what do they call that when the, a, microscope, a microscope and a, a slice section, what do they call that? Cross section, thank you. We showed a cross section of a blade of grass. And we were, I was amazed, and I hope that you were too, of the intricacies of a blade of grass. And how Paul talks about how God clothes the blade of grass. And you think about how many blades of grass you've murdered. But yet the Bible says that if God clothes a, a blade of grass and takes care of that and is so intricate in its design, imagine how much more he cares about you. Imagine how much more he will care for you. Imagine how much more he will meet your need. This treasure is a healthy church. It's being a healthy Christian, one that is obedient and faithful to God, independent of our circumstances, and then a church made up of healthy individuals that are all together obedient and faithful to God regardless of our circumstances. See, God's grace will be in abundance. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, And we are justified freely by his grace, by God's grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Our church will abound in all we do if we proclaim the banner of Jesus Christ, if we are faithful and obedient to what it is that he has clearly laid out in his word. There is no abundance to what God can and will do in this church and through this church when we embrace this treasure of being a healthy church. Now my checkbook, if I had my checkbook up here, I could write a check. And if that check was good, it was gonna be based on certain circumstances. It's gonna be based on what's in my account or what money that I budgeted for this and that. It's limited, but God's abundance knows no limits. 
what God can do and does do is beyond what it is that we can conceive. And we will experience a moment. It is guaranteed for those of you who have decided to follow Jesus, make him the leader of your life, there is a moment where you will get a full picture of the results of your obedience and faithfulness to God. I get it. It's much more easy and tangible to be able to use your money on, on a, on a uh, I don't know, a lawn chair on Amazon because you're able to track the shipping, you're able to see the delivery status, you're able to see them walk up to your door, drop up the package, you can then hold onto that box, you can open it up, and you can literally sit in it. But it's much harder, I get it, to be able to see the tangible ways in which God uses our resources in order to benefit his kingdom and to change people's lives. But he does do that. Yesterday, we had this tremendous opportunity in order to have face-to-face interaction with hundreds of people in our community who had legitimate needs and a desire to be able to experience the joy of having their kids come and get candy or getting food to be able to put into the refrigerators. We were able to welcome them and to tell them a little bit about who we are and that we're so glad that they're here. They were able to see our place or if they weren't here and we were out at Franklin Apartments to be able to talk about who North Haven is and to be able to express interest in wanting to find out a little bit more about us. And it's not to pack the seats or to get numbers, but it's about revealing Jesus Christ. It is literally about what Paul says. We get to hold out the word of life. That's what we do as believers. We hold out the word of life. And when we do that, we shine like stars in the universe because the world is dark. And when we hold out the word of life, there is a radiant light that beams and shines a light in the midst of that darkness that nobody can dismiss. And in that moment, in that, in that time where you stand before God in eternity and you get that full picture of how God used the resources, the financial resources that you so faithfully gave to him and to his local church so that that church could be the instrument that God has designed to shine the light of Jesus Christ, you will be blown away. And I am prepared to fall on my face in awe of what God has done through somebody like me. I am nobody special. I have the opportunity to get up here and for whatever reason, you've decided it's okay to sit there quietly and listen to me for 30 minutes each week. I don't get it. Because I'm no one special. We have tons of leaves in our yard. I'm waiting for someone to come take care of those. We got a house that has problems just like you do. We got issues with our families just like you do. I got too much weight on me just like you feel like you probably do. But God uses me and he uses my resources to change lives and that just blows my mind. 
And that's what he's calling us to do, individually and collectively. Again, it's for the benefit of the kingdom. It's so that Jesus Christ is revealed. And you were given a communion cup as you came in, and I want to ask that you kind of now begin working through this cup because it is a bit of a process. We should probably put instructions on the screen or something, but there's two things that you got to peel in order to get at the goods. So I'll give you a minute to kind of uh, wrestle with that. And Carter's going to come on up, and he's going to play a little bit, and we're going to shift And it's a continuation in our shift. It is a continuation of this realization that we have the hope of Jesus Christ. That hope only resides within us if we've made the determination, the decision to follow Jesus. The Bible tells us that we will be saved for all eternity. That means that that for all eternity we will be in the presence of God. And the Bible makes it clear that if we do not make that decision to follow Jesus that we will spend an eternity away from God. And that's what's at stake. That's why it is that we do what we do. We talk about that every week. And it all starts with this moment, this beautiful moment where Jesus was with his disciples. We read about this in the Gospels, in the Bible, where Jesus was with his disciples and he was talking to them about something that they could not comprehend or understand. Because lest we forget, his disciples thought that Jesus literally would sit on an earthly throne and claim uh, being the king again. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to kick out a bunch of Roman officials out of the land so that the Israelites could have the land back. Jesus came to die. And it wasn't love that held him to the cross. It wasn't nails that held him to the cross. It was his obedience. What does Paul say in Philippians 2? Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So at that night when Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he said, this here, this is my body, broken, beaten, battered for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus, he took the cup and he said this here, this is my blood poured out for you, shed for you, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God, today I pray that this would be a spurring in each of our lives and in our church to be faithful, to be courageous and obedient to what it is that you called us to. To hold loosely the things that we have been given for a short time. To understand that this, this act of giving, this is a privilege. That it should be just a natural, instinctual outflow of our lives and that we should do it without hesitation. Because you're calling us, you're calling us to tremendous things 
because you are a tremendous God who can and does change the lives of people through us. We don't have to understand that to know it's true. So thank you, Lord. Be with, uh, be with us today as we leave this place. Encourage, reveal your goodness to us in ways that we could not and do not expect. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. A couple of things. One, whenever we do communion, we also have our benevolent offering. It's an opportunity for us to be able to give financially to people in need in our community. So if you would, if God is leading you to give towards that, there'll be some baskets in the back that people will be holding. And then remember my assignment. I'm telling you, please, take at least two boxes. We all know at least two families or individuals who could benefit from that, and it won't take much time. Be the hands and feet in Jesus Christ. Bless somebody today. That truck's out front. Can't miss it. See you next week. God bless.